Good morning, evening, afternoon, wherever you are. We're back with another episode of the Stripe Show podcast where we interview and chat with the best players, analysts, and personalities in the game of golf. Hosted by your favorites, Travis Fulton and me, Samantha Marks. Travis, let me have the reins again today. A good day for it. I have a very special friend joining us today, and I'm excited to share our chat with you all. She's from Sweden, an LPGA major winner, an Olympian. Oh, and this is my favorite fact about you. When she tried qualifying, Qualifying for the LPGA Tour, she made it on her first try. Impressive stuff from my dear friend, Pernilla Lindbergh. Pernilla, thanks for joining me today. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm so good. I wanted to catch up a little bit before the upcoming U.S. Women's Open. Who Who's a better person to talk about it with than you? Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, a lot of people forget that uh, there's still one more major championship uh, on the schedule this year. I know they do, and it's exciting. We we like to uh, try to get some women voices in the game of golf, and uh, our listeners love it too. Well, for the listeners, Pernilla and I actually met at the 2015 Walmart LPGA Tournament in Northwest Arkansas. I Monday qualified for the event through my time at the University of Arkansas. Pernilla and I played together in the event, have been friends since, and now we even play at the same the same country club in Winter Park, Florida. So crazy story, but very thankful for you and your friendship and mentorship throughout the years. But crazy story how we met. I know, exactly. And I mean, that's really the main reason I ended up uh, joining the same country club as you was uh, a conversation I had with you and your dad. He was caddying for you in that Arkansas event. It's a good place. Winter Park is uh, is not not a bad place to uh, to settle your sex, is it? Not at all. No, we're very lucky to call that home. But you live in downtown, which is a cool place to live as well. You got married last year, right? Yes, start of last year. So it's almost coming up on two years. Oh my gosh. I don't know why it seems like yesterday that I was looking at those pictures. I know. Yeah, that was pretty special. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh, time it was, flies. Co- according to most people, it was about time though, because we, we had been <laughs> together for a, lo- a long time. There you go. Well, we're here today to talk about the upcoming U.S. Women's Open. We'll get to that. But tell me how the season's going so far. A weird year. But you're on the board of the LPGA, so you've had a lot of eyes and ears on everything going on. Give us some insight on the last, I don't know, nine months or so. It's been crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when I uh, kind of volunteered my time to be an LPGA player director on the board, uh, little did I think uh, that we were going to go through a year like 2020. So uh, even myself as a professional golfer, I've gotten used to all these Zoom calls. We have had plenty of them, that's for sure. But no, obviously the year started off uh, pretty normal for all of us. And we were down in Australia when uh, uh, things really kind of kicked off. Uh, We were meant to go to Asia for two weeks. at the end of February, beginning of March, and those events got canceled. And then we didn't play again until the last few days of July. So in that whole long break, I it was probably the first time in my adult life that I was actually at home for months, uh, upon months at a, in a row. And uh, yeah, but from uh, from the LPJs, uh, uh, perspective. I mean, we didn't really know what to expect when we were sitting at home in March, April. We, at that point, it felt like we were lucky if we were going to play any tournament yeah. in, 2020, in 2020. So, uh, you know, I think uh, based on that, I think we're very happy with uh, how this second half of the year has been going. We've been pretty busy uh, once we restarted and uh, 
things have been going well. I know it was weird to like stay home, even for me. And I'm not a professional golfer. I was like, okay, I'm so <laughs> bored. Like, I don't know what else to do. I've cleaned everything. <laughs> I've <laughs> done all my laundry 50 times. I don't know what else to do. Yeah. I, for me, I guess, because I live out of a suitcase and travel so much, and that's what I've done for as long as I can remember it actually, I mean, it feels bad to say, but it did feel kind of nice to yeah. be home and have a routine at home for a while, even though it was a strange routine that pretty much uh, involved not leaving the house. But uh, it for sure kind of uh, put uh, me in kind of a refresh mode and I was ready to go again uh, once we kicked off again. What did you do to better your game in that time, knowing that I mean, you couldn't really do a whole lot outside or at the course. Our course was closed. I mean, what did, what, what did you do? Uh, you're probably going to laugh now, but since I live in a condo, I don't have that much space. So I bought myself a tiny little golf mat and foam golf balls. And I was hitting a lot of <laughs> foam golf balls in our condo. And uh, that might not sound like the most productive thing, but it actually really helped me because that's how I grew up in Sweden in the winter. You know, we, it was snow. We only hit balls indoors into a net. And that gives you a chance to really work on your swing without getting too frustrated about what happens with the ball flight. Uh-huh. And they, this kind of took me back to that time where it's like, you know what? I can just work on these positions, make sure I do things that I will get them to a point that, uh, where I want them to uh, without getting frustrated of like exactly how the ball is flying. So I took advantage of the time and I did take some time off from golf at the start, but then uh, that's uh, how I kept myself busy and tried to, to sharpen uh, my swing as well. What did you feel like you learned about yourself in that time? Cause I feel like everybody I've talked to golfer, whatever you are, business person, everybody learned a little bit about their, themselves um, over the last few months. Did you learn anything? Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good question. I think the good thing for me was kind of when you take golf away from me that I'm like kind of figuring out who I am as a person and not just as a golfer, uh, you know, kind of separate myself from the professional golfer, Pranilla. Yeah, uh, that was it was kind of just a good reminder that I'm not just a golfer. Uh, that's probably the biggest thing. But no, I, I probably learned a lot more things, too. And it kind of just uh then to go back to as a golfer I just appreciated getting out playing golf I when I after our course had been closed when I went out and started playing again it was a long time ago I enjoyed the game that much Uh, because you know it's not until something is taken away from you that you realize I guess how much you you love it so uh, I I had a few different kind of good things uh come out of that period for sure I love that answer because it is it is hard to recognize sometimes, especially when you're that close to the game. What else do you like to do? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, when you kind of live and breathe golf for, I've been a professional for 11 years right now. It's, I mean, it, it's easy that it just kind of consumes you uh, after a while. Yeah. Well, hey, I was looking at your bio, which I've never done because I just know you, but I was looking, <laughs> I was looking at um, how you talked a little bit about Annika Sorensam and when it, watching her growing up and how she had an impact on you playing golf. Why is that besides the obvious answer that she's a badass? Yeah. So I guess for me coming out of Sweden, which I know Sweden has produced a lot of good golfers, but we 
I mean, we have a long winter, short golf season, so it's not an obvious golf place. So to be able to see that a girl coming out of the same country as me, uh, being able to go all the way to world number one and not just reach world number one, being dominating world num number one, I guess that kind of gave uh, all of us uh, little young Swedish girls sitting at home just some inspiration and some hope that if she can do it, we can do it too. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's super cool. So for some people who might not know a lot about you or your game, this is my favorite thing about you guys. Your husband is on your back. He's your caddy. We love Daniel. Yes. You, this is a safe space. You can tell me what you love or maybe don't love about <laughs> having him, your significant other as your caddy. I can imagine it has its ups and downs. Oh, absolutely. I usually when someone asks me about that, I start off saying that it's for sure not for everyone. And most people kind of just nod their heads when I say that. Uh, I mean, it's if anyone has ever tried to work with their significant other, it either works great or they're ready to kill each other at the end <laughs> of the first, first day. So we have done it for not uh, we have had a couple of little breaks when he has not worked for me but almost non-stop for the last seven years uh, so we have spent a lot of time together so obviously uh, it works for us and it's just no one else knows me or my game better than he does I mean that's the that's the biggest uh, thing that we have going for us uh, but then on the other hand a player caddy relationship, I mean, it's a pretty intense one, no matter uh, who your caddy is, because you just spend a lot of time together. It's a competitive environment. It's an emotional environment. So then when you add in that extra emotional factor of it being your significant other, of course, that's going to create um, some extra drama. But I think as we've gotten older, uh, we have gotten a lot better at you know, no, leaving our job at the golf course. And when we leave the golf course, we're back to just being wife and husband. Yeah. And, and also, I know for me, it's so easy when he says something, it has been in the past so easy for me to take it as criticism. But now I've gotten better at knowing like, okay, he's saying this because he really wants me to get better we're in this as a team and you know that's that's been hard to take because you never want to you know feel like you're criticized by anyone but I know that he is just looking out for my best that's really cool because yeah you're right I mean I I don't even I can't imagine it was hard enough having my dad on the bag let alone having a significant <laughs> other on the bag um but you guys have made it work so switching gears to why I brought you on the podcast today this yeah. week, 75th U.S. Women's Open at the Champions Golf Club in Houston. Uh, 156 players in the field, two courses, Jack Rabbit and Cypress Creek. But you went out there a week early to check everything out. I'm setting up your soapbox, so just tell us about the course. <laughs> Ramble away. Yeah, so uh, I had this perfect plan. I went there for two days, about a week uh, and a half before uh, the the US Open is about to start and I uh, was going to play both courses and I get there Friday afternoon going to play Saturday Sunday it rains all day Friday <laughs> it pours all day Saturday they got about five inches of rain so I walked both courses with a putter in my hand hey well that's so, okay exactly it was still you know it was still productive I the main thing is since it is two courses which is 
obviously the first time uh, that I have ever um, experienced that at a major championship. Uh, and we only have three practice days. I just wanted to take a little bit of the stress away from the practice rounds. Uh, so at least now, you know, I have a lay of the land. I know what to expect on the two courses. And even though they had that much rain, the greens are just in amazing condition. They were firm and fast, really fast, even when I was out there in the pouring rain. So I'm really excited about that. I like fast greens. So uh, that's uh, really exciting. And the uh, Cypress Creek course, we will be playing three times and the jackrabbit only once. So maybe you, you know, a lot of people will probably think, oh, the jackrabbit is the easier course or maybe the course that's not as good because we're only playing there once, but no, it's still a really good test as well. The greens are actually a lot smaller uh, on the jackrabbit course. Uh, so maybe your short game is gonna be a bit more tested on that course while the greens on the Cypress Creek um, course are really big so but i mean even if you hit, hit a lot of greens uh you still uh, have a lot of work cut out for you because you could still be a long way from the pin so uh i'm really excited uh and it should have dried up a lot uh, by the yeah. time the tournament starts what do you feel like is the main difference um because i mean you've been playing for a few months again now after the covid break and do you feel like it has a big impact with there not being fans because I know it's hard for spectators to see on TV and really kind of gauge it. Do you think it has an impact? I, I do. Uh, I would say especially during the major championships, it just, it just doesn't really feel like a major without the, without that atmosphere out there. That's, you know, our kind of regular events. Sure. We still miss our fans a lot, but I wouldn't say it is as noticeable during the regular events. Uh, but during the majors, it just feels quiet and kind of, I mean, a little bit dead out there, which is which is sad. But saying that, I mean, at the same time, we're very happy that we are out there playing and we understand the reason we're not having fans. Uh, but yeah, we can't wait to, to have uh, the fans back out there. Yeah, I've noticed a um, several new winners on the LPGA and the PGA Tour. First time winners um, have come in the last few months when there's not fans. Do you think that has something to do with it? I mean, that's that's a another factor that they, you know, first time winners don't have to think about is pressure of having people in person. Yeah, I mean, both yes and no. I think, um, I mean, we see new winners uh, every season because we have so many just good players uh, out on both the LPGA Tour and PGA Tour. But I think, you know, yes, without the fans, it probably does feel a little bit more like any any other round of golf that you have ever played in your life. Uh, but I think um, the, the main thing that I have said is just any player who's been on tour for a little while, um, we for sure miss the fans. And I think the maybe rookies um, are probably the ones that are not used to fans. So they are probably the ones that would kind of benefit the, almost the most. Because um, that, that is yeah. a factor that it, it probably takes a few years to get used to. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's like a positive and a negative kind of. Do you guys? Yeah, yeah exactly. Do you guys have a date for when fans are coming back yet? So we, our first event of the 2021 season is the Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champions in Orlando. Oh yeah. And I and I know they have announced that there will be some fans. Uh, I don't know to what capacity, but so um, 
there I know there will be some people out there oh well that's good because that's in that's in Orlando so that'll be great yes exactly so yeah if you don't know about Pernilla you love a good major Pernilla you won the 2018 ANA Inspiration huge playoff with NB Park tell us how or is your mentality different going into a major week than any other week on the LPGA tour? We've heard Brooks say, you know, major championship weeks, he cares about them more. Um, what, what's your take on that? How is, how are things different this week? Yeah, I, you know, in one way golfers, I mean, throughout time has probably always tried to figure out how to peak and no one has really figured out that, that formula, uh, I mean, may, maybe you can say it seems like Brooks did for a while, yeah. Tiger did uh, for sure for a while. But no, you know, golf is just you just kind of catch these waves of momentum, momentum, and you just hope that you can ride them during a few big events. Uh, so I would say, you know, I just kind of really the weeks leading up, I just want to make sure that I practice good. I feel good about my game. So I don't show up on site stressing about it because I do, I do want to show up and play good in those tournaments. Absolutely. But, um, and then at the same time, you, some people like playing the week before a major, some players rather practice. I'm the kind of uh, player I like playing my way into a major. So that's, you know, another thing that I make sure I do, uh, because I just feel like I know, that gives me the best idea of where my game is at. Uh, and then my my coach and I, he lives in Sweden, so we haven't seen each other a whole lot this year. Uh, but our normal preparation is he usually comes out to me the week before a major, yeah, just to make sure just to make sure I feel good about my game. And then he might stick around for the practice days of the major. Um, and we'd rather have it that way. Uh, so then he can see my game the week before. We know where we're at. We can spend a little bit of extra time Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of the major, and then I'm ready to go. Uh, versus, I feel like a lot of other coaches, they just want to show up for the major. So that's we've kind of just pushed the preparation a little bit to the week before instead. Yeah. So I, I like you said, you went out a week before, so you're nice. But that was mostly because there were two courses, or do you try to do that often? No, I, that was really the main reason. The two courses, I. I did it, I think my, it was my first ever US Open um, back at Sabonic 2013. I went there early, uh, played some practice rounds, and then I think I just put way too much pressure on myself when I actually showed up for the tournament because I felt that, oh, I've done this extra preparation uh, and I didn't play good at all. So I think at that point I was like, I'm never doing this again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So it can go both ways for sure. Uh, but, you know, we as professional golfers, we're so good at learning a new golf course pretty quickly because that's what we do for a lot of the tournaments. So at that, in that aspect, I try to not really put more pressure on myself for the major. Uh, it's like, you know what? I can do this any other week of the year. I can do it uh, uh, during a major as well. But, yeah, just because of the two courses this time, I uh, thought it was a good idea to uh, go and see them. No, that's a good point though. I feel like if you do it every week, you'll just, you think about the course for longer than you maybe should, you know what I mean? You don't want to be preoccupied for too long. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, that's in an ideal world, that sounds perfect, but we're all human and it's easy to get it in our own heads and just kind of overdo it. So no, uh, I don't want to do that. So how are you feeling going into this week? How does your game feel? Yeah, so 
it, it feels like I've really been heading in a nice direction after the restart we had uh, for the second half of the year. I, I feel like my game has been a lot more consistent. I, I missed the cut the first week we back, but you know after that, uh, I, I've made every cut. Sure, I've had some finishes where I finished towards the bottom, but you know at least it just feels like it's been steady. So uh, I am kind of excited to finish off with a few big events because even the week after US Open now is our Tour Championships. Right. So uh, it, it's a nice run into Christmas. So I kind of hope to just keep building on uh, what I've done the last few months. Love that. Well, I'm excited for you, Pranilla. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, you are a delight. And we're sending you all the best wishes and good luck vibes in this week's major championship. Well, that's all for now, folks. We'll be back here in a couple days for another interview with one of the best players, analysts, or personalities in the game of golf. For now, I'm Samantha Marks. Let's take a second a to talk day, about the guys Cheers. and girls over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation of having the most cutting-edge technology in their golf balls that the industry has seen in quite some time. Their team in Buffalo, New York, is changing the script of golf technology through the perimeter-weighted designs. Use of high-density particles and even a nano-transitional layer in their latest creation, which offers players enhanced accuracy and control for every shot on the course and extreme velocity off the tee. They already have their award-winning Elixir and Avant 55 golf balls, but the new Vero X1 is the highest performance ball to date with their full suit of golf balls they are transforming the game for players of all skill levels visit encoregolf.com slash travis fulton for more details about their products that are revolutionizing the game now back to the stripe show podcast